Amen. And you may be seated. You may be seated. Now, the events that unfold in chapter 16 uh, really stand in stark contrast to what happened in chapter 15. In chapter 15, it seems like everything that Samson puts his hands to turns out to be successful. Time and time again, the uh, we, we see the Philistines coming up against him to try to defeat him. And each time Samson, with the power of God working through him, ends up on top. He ends up being victorious. And we see this uh, all the way through uh, that chapter. And, and we see in chapter uh, 14 and in chapter 15, this one phrase that kept coming up time and time again. In fact, three times, it says, "...in the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him," indicating that this was the reason for his success. The reason he was so successful all that time is because the Spirit of God dwelt in him and was working through him. He experienced the power of God. And now when we get to chapter 16, we see just the opposite. For the very first time, we see Samson actually unable to defeat the Philistines, unable to overcome them. He actually begins to fail, and he begins to fail in a big way. And curiously enough, the whole chapter lacks any mention of the Spirit of God rushing upon him. In fact, through the whole chapter, we don't see any mention of God at all until we read these haunting words in verse 20. And those words are, the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. So get this, whenever the Lord is with him, he succeeds. Whenever the Lord has departed, now he's defeated and he's destroyed. Now, what I want to do this morning is, is I want to work through chapter 16, and I want to show you two steps to self-destruction. All right, now, with, with that said, uh, let me, let me I, I realize there's a challenge to the sermon, by the way. Uh, number one is because of the story's familiarity. Uh, there's probably not anybody in here that doesn't know the story of Samson and Delilah, right? If you grew up in church, you were an embryo and you were being force-fed the story of Samson and Delilah. You know the story. And whenever something is so familiar, the, the difficulty is, is that it's hard to kind of make it fresh. And sometimes what we do is we begin to go, yeah, I know the story. Uh, and, and, and unfortunately, we sometimes begin to miss the essence and the significance of that story. So I know that's a challenge. The second challenge is not just with the story's familiarity, but with the story's theme. Let's face it, it's 2015, and nobody, nobody wants to come to church and hear a message about defeat, right? I mean, when when you sell books, you write books like Your Best Life Now, not, hey, how to put your life in the dumper, all right? That's not, those don't sell well. Uh, We want to hear about prosperity in 2015. People want to hear about hope and joy and all these things. And I want to preach hope and joy in the person of Jesus Christ. But what we have to understand is our need for hope and joy in Jesus Christ comes in light of the condition that we're in. And so what do you do when, when you know that people want to hear just a good, soft, encouraging, feel-good message, but the message that's before you that God wants us to hear is about people self-destroying themselves? Well, what you do, or at least what I'm going to do, is I'm just going to do what the text says, and we're going to talk about people destroying themselves, self-destruction. It's going to be a challenge because here's why. I want to say this from the get-go. I want to make sure that you in your hearts from the get-go stray away from this temptation. The temptation is as we work through the text that you begin to sit and think to yourself of somebody else. 
I don't know if you ever do that, right? You think, and you're going to think to yourself, and I'm going to get a text, or I'm going to get an email, or somebody's going to come afterwards and go, man, I just wish my, my, my cousin Vinny was here to, to, to hear this. I mean, I mean, you just told his life story. It's what I've been trying to tell them. Can I get the CD to let them listen to? That's not a problem uh, to let others listen to it, as long as you're listening first and foremost for yourself before you begin to listen and share it to somebody else. So let's look. We're going to look at these two steps to self-destruction. You've always wanted to know how to do it, to destroy yourself. And I'm going to show you two easy steps to self-destruction this morning, all right? And before we do that, let's just get to the story, uh, which I know you're very, very familiar with. Um, The story actually begins in in verse 4. So let's look at it before we look at these two steps. Um, The Bible says, After this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, we've seen three different influential women, women uh, in the life of Samson. Uh, we, we saw that his wife was a Philistine woman. We see the prostitute who was a Philistine woman. And now we see this woman by the name of Delilah. And it's interesting because Delilah is the only, uh, only woman in his life that we're actually privy to knowing her name. And even though we know her name, we know really little or nothing about her. We don't even know if she's a Philistine or if she's, uh, or if she's an Israelite. Now, some would suggest, some authors really argue the fact that she is most likely a Philistine because what Israelite, good, good Israelite, would, would, would betray another Israelite for the betterment of the Philistines? Well, that might be an okay argument, except for the fact that it, it kind of it disallows or, or, or doesn't really take into consideration what kind of spiritual dump the people were in during this time. The, 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 the Israelites during this time have wedded themselves in their culture, in their belief system, in their religions with the Philistines. So with that understood, there's very di- different distinction between God's people and, and, and the pagans during the time. So it's not hard for us to understand or see how she might be able to align herself with the Philistines that she so mostly wants to be like, especially if they speak her language. And by her language, I mean the language of greed. Notice, if you will, verse 5. The Bible says, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strengths lie and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So there you see Delilah's motivation, fortune and fame. We don't know how many of these jokers, these Philistine jokers come to her and try to plan this, but they do say every one of them will give, them, give her 1,100 pieces of silver, which means that she's going to have more money than she could have ever imagined. And not only is she going to experience fortune, but she's going to experience fame. Did you notice who it was that came to talk with her to, to do business with? It's just not the average Joe. Uh, these are the elite. These are the heads, the lords of the Philistines who came to her, which tells us by this point that Samson is not a mere irritant to the nation of the Philistines. Now he is a complete and utter menace. And they want him done away with. And so the big wigs show up and say, hey, listen, what do we have to do to get this done? And they begin to make a deal with her. And this temptation, this fame and fortune is way too much for her to be able to pass up. So she begins immediately to go to work. And remember what her job is. Her work is to find out what makes Samson strong and how she can, he can, she can ultimately bind him. And so what we find is she begins to do this and go to work by playing a game with Samson, a little game that she likes to call the Philistines are upon you, Samson game. All right, that's, everybody loves that game. You know, it's board games, Yahtzee, 
The Philistines are upon you, Samson. You know, so she likes to play this game. In fact, what she does is she tries to get out of him, swindle out of him, uh, how in the world, you know, where his strength comes from and how he can be bound. And she tries three times in verse 6 and verse 10 and verse 13. Now, what we find is he likes to play the game. So, you know, when you're dating, there's the game. You know, the dating game, you know, that kind of, not, not, anyway. Anyway, and so there's a little cat and mouse, meow, you know, back and forth, and she's messing with his head, and he's messing back, and, and basically he says, hey, how can you be bound? And he begins to lie to her. The first time he says, uh, he says, hey, listen, if you were to take seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, and I were tied up with them, he says, then I would become weak and be like any other man. So he goes to sleep, and guess what she does? She finds herself some bowstrings. She ties the joker up. And then she says to him, okay, here's the part of the game. Philistines are upon you, Samson. He jumps up, breaks them off like they're no problem at all. She comes back to him and she goes, okay, you lied to me once. Don't do it again, all right? So she goes, now, what is the source of your strength? And so at this particular point, he says, well, if you were to take some, some new ropes, new ropes will do it. They can't be used on anything else, but if they're brand new, you take them right out of the package and you bind me with them. He says, then I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be weak and I'll become like any other man. So she finds an opportunity. I don't know how that all works out. Here, just stay there. Let me tie you up. I don't know how it works, but she does. And then all of a sudden she says the same thing. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. He gets up and he just, he breaks them off like they're nothing. Well, she tries one more time. She says, listen, I'm I'm getting sick of this. You've mocked me. Uh, I want you to tell me what makes you so strong and and how I can, you know, keep you from, from, just impede you, just bind you up. How, how can I do this? And so she, he then says, well, if you take my hair and you weave it, the locks of the hair into a loom, then I will become weak and like any other man. And so he does and she does and falls asleep. She does her best to weave it all in the loom and makes it nice and tight. And again, she says to him, you guessed it, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he gets up and he rips the things to shreds, rips her loom to shreds. And then she is pretty ticked off at this point. But here's my question. What is the point of this story so far? What is it telling us? What is it telling us about Samson in this path to destruction? Let me tell you, the first thing I think it tells us is it shows us the first step to self-destruction is self-denial. Anybody here in this story and a little bit taking part in some self-denial, right? Uh, Who would it be? It would be the person of Samson. Something strange is happening here. Something dangerous is happening here. I think he knows that something weird is going on, but he refuses to acknowledge it, and he just keeps kind of going his way. He keeps going in his way of danger and destruction. Look, we all know people like this, right, in denial. Now, I know in the beginning of my sermon, I said, don't think about anybody else, but now I'm going back on that. You got to think about somebody else, right? Because we've all got family and friends who have been in denial, right? Not a river in Egypt. It's a stupid joke, right? It's not in Donal, right? Um, but but but, why did I even say that? I, that's below all of us. Okay, so but the idea is is what is that they're in denial. It kind of goes like this: you got a friend, no relationship has ever worked out for them, and finally they call you up on the phone and they basically say, "Hey, listen, I finally found Mr. Wright. I mean, he is amazing. He's the wind beneath my wings. He's the marrow to my bones." He is, as it says in one of the Shrek episodes, he is a clear, crisp, delicious glass of aqua purificata, right, to, to me. And so she, she looks to him. She, it's awesome. You meet this guy, and he's a hot mess, right? 
I mean, the dude is bad shape. He is mean. He is rude. He is, he is malicious. He is self-centered. He's everything completely opposite of what this woman says that, that this man ultimately is. And then you and I have to clean up the mess. You know what I'm talking about, right? So now you've got it. Okay, I got to speak truth into this person's life. Let's sit down. We need to talk. You sit down and you begin to identify all this stuff. And as you're talking across the thing and you're saying, hey, listen, you know, um, he kills puppies, right? And, and she's like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. And, and, he, and, and he does this, and he does that, and he, and he gambles, and, you know, he's, he walks around with a keg, like 24 hours a day, with an IV into his arm. What's wrong? Yeah, I know, I know. What does she do? What's going on with her? Is she in denial? Yes, because she knows everything that you're ultimately saying to her is true, but what does she ultimately do? She just keeps on moving on. Why? Because even though she can tell the difference between what is right and wrong, she sees that it's wrong. She willfully chooses what to do is right. Why? Because her flesh desires it. She wants it. She's, she's willing to be able to move. She's willing to be able to go. And that's the idea of self-denial. And, or excuse in self-denial. And here what we see is Samson is in the same full-blown self-denial as well. And we know it by two different, in two different ways. I try to break this down into two sections. First of all, he ignores the obvious patterns in his life. He ignores obvious patterns in his, his, his life. When you look at Samson's life, there's a history that shows every time that he gets into a relationship with a woman, that it, when he is being driven in order to fulfill his, his lustful uh, desires, it always ends poorly. Would you agree? It ended poorly with his first wife. It ended poorly with the prostitute. Go figure why that didn't work out, right? And, and, and so now it is definitely not going to work out with Delilah. And you know what the crazy part of this is? And I don't think I'm looking too much into the text for this at all. I think that he's completely and fully aware of it. I think he knows it. I think he would actually admit it. I think if you were to go to him, just like our friends, and go, hey, bro, you don't have a real good track record in relationships here. These things don't end up well. He'd probably, with a smile on his face, go, yeah, man, you're not kidding. I really blew it back then. Boy, it's just a mess like that. Yeah, it's bad. And then you begin to talk with him. The problem is, for Samson, is he didn't really able to see what his true problem was. See, the problem is that he didn't see the real problem. The problem is that he keeps keeps uh, seeking to fulfill his lustful desires at any cost, but he thinks the problem has nothing to do with him. He just thinks his real need is just to ultimately meet the right woman, right? If it doesn't work out the first time, then, hey, I got to find the right woman. Let's go to a prostitute. If it doesn't work out, let's go to Delilah. So what we see is this. So indeed, instead of him stopping what he has been doing that has been causing him much consistent pain and defeat, he thinks the answer is to do more of it, only this time to do it even better. That's self-denial. You know, that's where, that's where we find ourselves, right? Look, all of us, the Bible in the Old Testament calls it a bent. We have a bent towards sin. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, that there are certain things that you and I are just easily fall to, temptations we more easily fall to. And it's unique in the, every one of our lives, Right? For some, it might be lust. For some, it might be uh, pride. For some people, it, it might be materialism, uh, it, the, you know, the love of money, whatever it is. And we all have these bents. Looking back on our lives, do we see those? We see where we struggle. We see where we are. And here's what happens. If you and I come to the point that we ever begin to think that the way to 
escape this difficulty and escape these hardships is to keep following the same sinful lust and the same sinful paths. And we think at one point that the outcome is going to be different, that instead, it's, instead of leading to pain and difficulty and defeat and destruction, that it one day is going to lead to success, happiness, and peace, then guess what? You're completely ignoring the patterns that you've seen in your life, and you're at the point of self-denial. So here we see the ignoring of patterns, but we also see the, uh, he ignores uh, uh, obvious dangers. Now, notice this in verse 6. I, I, I'm familiar with the story, but I, I don't think I've ever noticed this before. Look at verse 6 again. Listen to what she says to him. She says, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one can subdue you. All right, listen, I'm going to give some marital advice and some relationship advice here, all right? If your loved one comes up to you and asks you, says, listen, honey, hypothetically speaking here, um, if one were to bind you and tie you up, all right, so that you're vulnerable for me, for the other person to do whatever it is they want to harm you, kill you, stick you, pluck your eyes out, whatever it is. Uh, how would you say, now, hypothetically speaking, now, how would one go about doing that, okay? If somebody does that, bells should be going off, yes? I mean, this isn't a stretch, is it? I mean, right? Bells should be going off. I think bells are going off on him. Why? Because he doesn't tell her the truth. He, he, he doesn't tell the truth. He keeps lying, which is a warning sign. He, he, he's understanding, man, this is danger. I don't need to be a part of this. I see the signs of danger, but what does he do? He just keeps on. Verse 10 is probably, you may, maybe never have noticed this, but is the most alarming section of scripture or phrase in the entire chapter 16. Notice what it says. Now, this is after she asks him, after he lies to her, after he tries to bind her and kill him, this is what it says in verse 10. Then Delilah said to Samson, what? Not what. I mean, but then Delilah said to Samson. She didn't say what. Okay, I'm just saying what? Why is he still here? Why is he still talking to this woman? Look, you tie me up and want to kill me. All right, I'm not having any more conversations with you. But what is he doing? He's sticking around in the mix of this danger. What is he? He's in denial. He's ignoring the obvious patterns and the obvious dangers in his life. You know, God has given us an incredible tool inside of our lives to warn us from impending danger in our life. It's the Holy Spirit. And every true believer, the Holy Spirit abides in us. And with that, one of the jobs of that Holy Spirit is to convict and to warn us of what is wrong. When you and I, look, every single one of us know that we sit there and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and we know what is dangerous. We know by what we're watching, what we're listening to, what we're taking part in. The Holy Spirit is warning us of different affections in our life for things other than God. And the Holy Spirit does a great job convicting us with that. The problem is some of us ignore it and ignore it and ignore it and push it away as though it's not a real deal, as though it's not a real problem. And what the Bible says is that is the first step to self-destruction because we are in full-blown denial. Got that? Second step, only two steps. Man, these two-step, these two-point messages are great, aren't they? All right, first step, self-denial. All right, first step to self-destruction. Listen, I told you, you want to destroy yourself? Here it is, be in self-denial. Second step right here, step that leads to defeat is self-deception. See, the danger about self-denial is that if you do it long enough, you'll ultimately end up deceiving yourself completely. 
See, here, here's what it looks like. Self-denial is basically this. You have the ability to know the difference and distinguish between right and wrong. You just willfully choose because of your own sinful desires to ignore all of the mess and you choose to do what is wicked. The Bible says if you do it long enough, you'll get to the point till you are no longer able to distinguish the difference between what is right and wrong. And this is what we see in Samson. Do you see the progress of his destruction? Knowing it, doing it anyway. The next part, he can't distinguish one way or another. And what we see here is that, that, that Delilah is going to go after him again. In verse 15 and 16, this is, this is her fourth time, fourth and final time. She comes and she begins to just really pour it on to him this time. Ladies, you know how this works, right? I mean, or maybe some of you men know how this works, all right? You start crying to your wife now. Uh, he comes here and he basically says, listen, you've mocked me all these times. Listen, if you want to have a close, intimate relationship, you've got to be transparent, okay? We need transparency in here. If this is going to go anywhere further, if you're not serious and want to be transparent, we can't, this relationship cannot go on any further. This almost sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, not with my wife, but in movies, okay? And so, so you, you, you can't move on anymore. And so, so he says, now what ends up happening is he, he breaks down. And he finally sits back, and he finally tells her what the answer is. Now, why is this? Well, we would love to be able to Hollywood, Hollywood, romanticize this and to be able to say, oh, because he loves her. She's, she's his lobster. You know, they mate forever. You know, and, and, and all this. that's not what's going on here. There's no love here. What it is is it's lust. If he loses her, then how is he going to fulfill his own sinful passions? He can't let her go. He can't let it go. He exposes himself to this danger. And then notice what happens here. This is where I think we see the deception. She binds him. You know, she actually has a guy come in, okay? A guy comes in, uh, a barber. I don't know how this, how does this work, right? I mean, I hear like a, like a gnat in the room, and I'm like, ah, what's going on? You know, ah, you know? And, and this guy's got a barber coming in, you know, setting up the barber. <laughs> you know, and he comes in, and what does he do? He, he, he begins to cut all the hair off of Samson. And then she, at the appropriate time, sits there and she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. You might be familiar with that, but do you see the deception? See, here's where the deception, the deception is, look, if, say after church, my wife and I were sitting there, kiddos are just kind of hanging out, doing their things, eye touching it, and, uh, and, and I'm exhausted, and I lay on the couch, and I put my head in my wife's lap, and we're watching whatever, and we're sitting there, and I fall asleep. If my wife decided to cut all my hair off, shave it all off while I was sleeping, and I woke up, to be honest with you, I might not notice. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, there's not a real big difference between this in complete baldness. I know you would agree you're wicked because you laugh. Uh, you laugh because you care, or whatever it is. I don't know what the statement is. But the truth of the matter is, if you've never cut your hair, and when you're just trying to get it out of your way, you wrap it on your head so that it looks like the size of a cartoon beehive, you know what I'm talking about? And that is literally cut off your head. You instantly feel the breeze on your scalp and know that something's changed, right? He knows that he no longer has any hair What's happening within the text of the scripture? He says, I will go out at other times and shake myself free. This is a guy who's become completely and utterly deceived. How's he gotten to this point? I think two things. Number one, there's a series of compromises here. See, it's not like one day you just wake up and deceive and, and sin, some massive sin, and destroy your whole life. It doesn't work that way. What we find in him is that there's a series of compromises. Remember that he was a Nazarite and he had taken a Nazarite vow? 
which means that he was set apart and he was not to touch what? Anything unclean, anything dead. He wasn't to, to take in or drink in or take part in any kind of alcohol. He was set apart. He was supposed to be sober of mind for the use of God. And so what do we find him doing along this track? He's compromising. He eats, he touches the dead animal, he eats out of it. He actually takes a picnic out of the stomach, the, 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 um, the honey from it. We find him throwing a big party for his 30 closest uh, Philistine friends where they all get drunk at his, uh, you know, at, his, at his wedding. We see all of these compromises going on. Let me, let, let, me, let me say it this way. When a man or woman commits adultery, which is a devastating, destructive sin, When that happens, the act of adultery is not the first sinful compromise they've made. It's the end result of a number of multiple compromises over sometimes a very long period of time. This is why you and I have got to hate all sin. This is why you and I have got to not rate big sins and small sins and serious sins and little sins. Because all sin is serious. All sin is big. Why? Because all sin is against the person of God. It's big enough. Now, I think you and I would agree that there are sins that have greater consequences than other sins. Yes? I mean, much older. Is this not an example of it? I mean, he's committing other sins, and and everything seems to be fine. He gets to this one, and that's it. It's the sin that ultimately destroys his life. And what I'm just trying to show you here is that when, when, when we're on the verge of destroying our lives through sin, because we've come to a point where we're literally deceived like he is, he thinks everything is still going to be okay. Because why does he think everything's going to be okay? Because um, it has been okay. In other words, he's sinned and nothing really ultimately has happened because he's, he's broken these maybe minor laws. And so now he's so deceived that he thinks when he even blows it big time that sometime he is still ultimately safe. Let me me understand something to you. You may not think the little, small, teeny um, uh, uh, compromises in your life as much. It is heading you down to a point of destruction. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to see here. The second thing is that we see that his deception was caused by his presumption of God. Okay, presumption of God. There's two things, two wrong views that are happening within this text. Let me unpack them just very quickly. First of all, what we see is that we see people misunderstanding how we come about receiving the goodness of God. The Philistines have a view, and the Philistines' view is that it's more kind of like, a, like an equation uh, or, or maybe a formula. In other words, they think it's systematic. They think the way that, that Samson ultimately gets the, the goodness of God, the power of God, the blessing of God, is by him doing something specifically. That's, that's how their minds are thinking. That's why they think he can do something specifically to lose the blessings of God, to lose the favor of God. Does that make sense? In, in, in us, in, in our church, it, it's like this. People are like, man, I just want God to bless me. I want to be walking in his will. I, 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 want him, I want to feel the power of God inside of my life. What do I need to do? right? This is why churches that give you six steps to a better you are booming across the United States because we're just like, just tell me what it is to do. If I can follow this exact formula, then the blessing of God will be on my life. It's like magic, right? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. You get it just right. Poof, there it is, the goodness of God. This is how the Philistines are thinking. But Samson thinks in just the opposite way, but it's equally wrong and erroneous. What does he think? Whereas the Philistines think that they have to do nothing, that they do nothing, or they have to do everything to be able to get the goodness of God. Here, Samson believes that he doesn't have to do anything. In other words, listen to this. 
he just assumes that God's grace will always be there. He just assumes that no matter what he does, no matter what he takes part in, God will always rescue him. God will always help him. God will always deliver them, no matter how he lives his life. So do you see the two differences? One, you've got to do everything to get his goodness. The other one, you have to do absolutely nothing to be able to receive his continued goodness in, uh, in his life. Well, where did that get him? Where did it get him? God ended up removing his presence from him. And we, what we find out and what we'll see next week is that he's ultimately destroyed here. See, what Samson thought is Samson had come to see his strength as a right and not a gift of grace from God. So here, here, here's the question. We're all here, and part of us is really hoping to receive the goodness of God. We, we want to be blessed. Anybody not want to be blessed of God? Uh, there's many of us who are here that want to be able to feel the strength of God and the power of God to be able to overcome sin in our life. We want his goodness to be able to heal our marriage and all these different things. And so, again, what do we do? Some of us are like, if I could just get to church enough, if I could just read enough, if I could just study enough, if I could do all this. The rest of the folks are sitting in here, much like Samson, living a life of I don't care, I'll sin, I'll do whatever it is that I ultimately want to do, presuming upon God that God is always going to bail you out. It's what Samson ultimately did here. So the question for us is, well, then how do you find the goodness of God? How do, you, how do you have the power of God coursing? If it's not about what you do and what you don't do, where is it found? It's found, listen to this, it's found as a byproduct of a relationship with Christ. That's where the power of God comes from. That's where the blessing of God comes from. In fact, that is the blessing. See, you and I aren't supposed to be going out and go, God, I want to be blessed, I want to be blessed. Now I want to come and use you to be able to get you to be able to bless my life. No, listen to me. If you don't know, and this may be the difference between salvation and not and why you're here and whether you'll come back, is Jesus Christ is the blessing. When you get him, when you get all of him and you come and you repent before him and you seek the forgiveness of God based on the completed work of Jesus Christ and you get him, he's the gift. He's the blessing. He's the power that dwells in you. Power doesn't come by us trying to do a bunch of stuff, and it doesn't come by us not doing something by assuming that he's going to come and he's going to help. It comes by us just abiding in him, having a relationship with him. Let me ask you, do you have a, a relationship with him? Do you walk with him and talk with him, not because you're trying to get something from him, but because you see the blessing that he is. You see the love that he is. It's, it's all these people that sit back and go, Mike, I don't know. I, I, keep, I keep messing up in this one area all the time. But yet, here's my list, and I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm sitting there going, no, 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 you got it wrong. You're thinking like a Philistine. Don't enjoy the power of God because of all that you do. Enjoy the power of God because you enjoy him and fellowship and love and rejoicing. And so what I find is this, and you say, well, is there any biblical evidence of that? I think absolutely the whole word of God speaks to it. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, though, specifically you know this, this verse like, like crazy. It, we, we say it all the time. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, listen, all power and authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And he says, now go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing men in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he goes, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And he goes, and then notice the last part. And lo, I will be with you to the ends of the age. What you may not know is that the Semitic word with means relationship. He says, the way that you're going to overpower the world and overcome the world is that I'm with you, that my presence is with you. The way that you have my presence is not by doing and not by not doing, but rather be in an intimate relationship with God. 
Here, here's, here's what messes us up sometimes. What messes us up is that sometimes we think and we presume upon God. Because God hasn't instantly given us and brought judgment to us because of what you're doing and thinking right now. Look, there are some folks right now that are in denial. I can't point you out. I don't want to point you out. I want to go and fall asleep on the couch. That's what I want to do, all right? I don't want to open up a can of worms and start fighting with you about this, and I don't want to get that, that close into your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want, so there's some people who are in denial, this very thing. Some people are ignoring the patterns of their life, but they just keep moving because they want what they want. Warning signs are going on all over the place. God even gave you another warning sign this morning, a preacher who's standing before you and letting you know that you're taking the first step. You're on the first step of destroying your life. First step. You know what you're doing. You know the direction that you're going is wrong. You know it's against the will of God. But you keep doing it and you keep pursuing it. You're ignoring the pattern. You're ignoring the danger. And some of you might this morning might be in the point and might be on the verge because you've continued so long at the point of deception. You're deceived because you think because God hasn't disciplined or judged you along the way in your sin, in your progressive sinfulness, and that everything on the outside looks really good right now. Your life looks good. The business is going well. The cars are holding together. The house seems, the house payment's being done. You're sinning below the surface. Everything on the top looks good. Here's the thing that's crazy about God. He can even continue to bless you when you're sinning. He can extend mercy even when he's sinning. But here's what you can't do. You can't presume he will. And that's what Samson did. And then one time, eventually, what ends up happening is what happens to us and what happened to you is the same thing that happened to Samson. One day God says, it's enough. Have, have you wondered what Samson did at this particular point to where God just finally said, I'm going to sustain you, sustain you, help you, help you, I'll be there, I'll help you, I'll bless you, and then finally said, enough. Do you, do you, why then? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. It's just God at one point says, that's enough. This plays out in two ways. Y'all still with me? Two ways. It plays out and applies to unbelievers and believers alike. For the believer in Jesus Christ, what it looks like is though they are saved and though they are born again, they are messing with sin and they are in great danger. And guess what ultimately happened? They're going to end up finding themselves destroying their relationship, their relationship with other people, and something that means a great deal to them. How it works for the, how, how it works for the unbeliever is this way. That's the believer, the unbeliever is that right now you're in the process that you might be in denial. You might sit back and you say, hey, listen, you know, the truth of the matter is, is I, I, I think that I'm a good person, but the truth of the matter is I see a lot of things that I've done wrong. And if you keep thinking that you're a good person, you think that you're a great person, you think that you have it all together and you think you could be right before God, eventually what's gonna happen is you're gonna deceive yourself you're going to actually not be sensitive to the pull of the Holy Spirit anymore. You're not going to feel sensitive to his calling, to his drawing anymore. Your heart will become so hardened because you're turning and, and stiff-arming the Holy Spirit. Your heart will become so hard that you won't be able to repent even if he ever wanted to. And that's God in Romans chapter 1 where he says, and he gave them up. You don't want to be given up. So the idea is this, is the idea is to call all of us to what? What's the answer? Relationship with Christ. If you're lost, if you don't know Christ, if there is a judgment that will come, there is a time when God will give you up to that judgment into eternal destruction, the idea is for you to repent and believe. 
that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, to die your place. Recognize that you're a sinner. Recognize it. Admit it to him. And call on the mercy and grace of God to forgive you based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you do the same thing. You do the same thing. You find something in your life where you've been compromising within your life. And right now, people have even been telling you, and you just want what you want. But understand that God is using that in your life to turn you and to keep you from destruction. And you sit there and say, God, I've sinned against you. I need your mercy and I need your grace. And it all comes from the cross. So in light of the cross of what Jesus Christ has done, I'm now by faith going to live in light of the reality of what Christ has done for me. Let's pray.